0: Welcome to Human Dreaming, the podcast for curious dreamers. I'm your host, Britt Shefflin. As a former stressed-out financial services executive of a Fortune 500 firm, Teresa now guides stressed-out people pleasers to trust themselves mm-hmm. by discovering innate wisdom creating incredible breakthroughs in their personal and professional lives. Breaking down the complexities of neuroscience and brain health into practical tools to evaluate performance while integrating mind and body practices. Her clients learn to create balanced and healthy relationships which promote effective communication and bridges to connection. Teresa is an author and speaker, in addition to being a highly sought-after coach for forward-thinking individuals and organizations, as well as the founder of Becoming Aware. She is a certified professional coach and has a master's degree in consciousness and transformative psychology, with an additional certificate in neuroscience. Teresa Lodato. Thank you so much for being here today, and welcome to Human Dreaming.
1: Thank you for having me so much. And I just want to put a caveat, I'm working on my master's degree for psychology and neuroscience.
0: Okay, fantastic. Um, Well, that must be a really exciting endeavor in itself. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I had actually started my master's degree um, after I was diagnosed with a rare and serious illness that ended my financial services career. And uh, at first it was thinking, oh, I just need to shift careers (laughs) in order to be healthy again. Maybe it was just the long hours and the early, you know, waking up at 3.45 in the morning and working all day, etc. That was stressing me out. Uh, And what I realized as I started my program is that No, I still like there was really something going on and I needed to give my body uh, a bigger break. Um, But, you know, it was definitely something that was incredibly fascinating. And, you know, I had already um, during that time received my certification in projective dream working. Um, I mentored under the world renowned late great Jeremy Taylor. Um, He was one of my instructors and personally worked with him. And so, you know, having this opportunity to go back and, and finish that program with this new perspective that I have, you know, after doing my certification in neurotransformational coaching, after doing my certification in relational trauma, uh, you know, that I, both of those I use in my coaching work, being able to go back and, and finish this program and really have these rich dialogues, not only about dreaming, but talking about, neuroscience and psychology and the intersection and, you know, the work of our subconscious mind. It's just all incredibly fascinating and it's all informing the work that I do.
0: That's amazing. Um, so of course, anything to do with the subconscious mind, I am absolutely fascinated with. So would you mind telling me, um, a little bit about what neuroscience says about the subconscious, um, a little bit about maybe where it exists in the brain and what the functions are and then also um, a second part to that question you mentioned the style of dream processing that you do so can you also break down what that is for us and how that works
1: sure as far as neuroscience is concerned <clears throat> there are a couple um i guess leading experts that are on the cutting edge of understanding how the brain works and, and really scientifically reconnecting this idea that um, uh, René Descartes, you know, the 17th century philosopher, had really kind of polluted this view that the brain is separate from the body. And I think now science is starting to research and provide more evidence that we all are all one. I mean, it's, it seems common sense to a lot of us that have this, uh, this perspective of this mind, body, soul perspective. And I think for me, all the things that I learn really feed into that idea that mind, body, soul, we're all connected, we're all one. They're just different perspectives on things. So some of the things that uh, there was a prominent... Uh, she started, uh, she was a molecular biologist. I think she also had something to do with neuroscientists. Uh, she is now deceased, but she coined the term psychoneuroimmunology. Or actually, she didn't coin it, but people in her community coined it. And her name was Candace Pert. And Candace Pert, as well as uh, Bruce Lipton, who is uh, kind of the, the head of epigenetics, both of them have identified that the subconscious actually lives in the body. So the body is the subconscious mind. And when we think about it from a neuroscience perspective, perspective, we have two different kind of networks, essentially. We've got your task positive network that's really good on focusing on tasks, taking actions. But then the other network in our brain is the default mode network. And that's the network in our brain that really takes uh, takes in all the information that our body is bringing in you know, through our five senses, and it sorts it essentially, you know, so as information comes in, the brain identifies what it needs in order to survive in order to protect itself. And it holds on to that information, it, you know, it kind of dives into the the brain's ability to um, utilize its predictive process. So that's where it takes information from past experiences, events, people, and it predicts what's going to happen. And so that's where the the trigger response, you know, we don't actually react to situations, our brains are predicting what's going to happen. And then it signals a release of chemicals that trigger our emotions. And those emotions are from our subconscious mind. So it's kind of a complex state that I don't want to get too much into the rabbit hole on. But just understanding that our subconscious is really you know like like candace pert says dr pert says the body is the subconscious mind and also understanding that the emotions are the language of the subconscious and i know that there's been some research out there talking about in fact i think one of the articles you um, had sent me that we were going to discuss talked about the subconscious not understanding metaphors or or in dreams, metaphors um, not really being possible because of the context of the brain. And I'd kind of push back on that a little bit because I think that the default mode network in our brain from a neuroscience perspective, it's all about metaphor. I mean, it's all about that story and connections. And it's not so much about the verbal language as it is about providing a picture. And I think that's really what a metaphor is, as kind of a picture. So, you know, there are those perspectives of it. Um, what else do I want to say about that? I, I feel as though the... Emotions are also that portal to be able to change and to access the subconscious. So whether you do it through hypnotherapy, through dreams, through intuitive work, uh, through um, any sort of processes, wherever you can access that subconscious mind is really where we can not only get information, but the best place to make those changes because they're the foundations of our beliefs. They're the foundations of our thoughts. They're the foundations of our mindset. And so, really being able to get to those areas, I think that's what makes our work so critical. Uh, as far as projective dream working, I actually, I study, I'm studying, did study, and continuing to study in consciousness and transformative psychology. And part of that is dreaming. You know, working with lucid dreams, working with uh, you know different styles of dreams, and Jeremy Taylor was really big in this form of dream working called projective dream working. The understanding that dreams come in the service of you and one another, and so a dream is never going to come to tell you something you already know. A dream is going to come to tell you something that uh, that you you need to know or that that's important for you to know as well as having the perspective that dreams have multiple layers so the same dream may be talking about your health it also may be talking about um, relationships or it may be talking about something that's going on in your physical body or your mental uh, your mental body it can have various levels the way that i go about working with clients when I'm doing dream working is really kind of that projective state. The understanding too, that we are all unique in our experiences. What someone else's experience is, isn't necessarily going to be my experience and that can color how they are impacted by their dream or what their dreams are coming to tell them. So as we go through and interpret a dream, it's it's how I feel about the dream. You know, in my imagined version of your dream. This is what I think because it's coming from my perspective and then that allows the dreamer to To take the information what resonates with them and and to use those bits. But if it doesn't resonate with them. It doesn't mean that it's not valid it just means that it might not be valid for them. And I think that's kind of an an important distinction in projective dream working versus other forms of dream interpretation because it really allows that agency of each person to be able to take what they need from the dream or what resonates for them, or, well, and, and also inviting the idea that there's this idea of collective consciousness that dreams also feed into and so when i work someone else's dream i am also able to take ownership in a sense of some of the aspects of the dream because even in the interpretation process i am being changed my perspectives are being changed or there's the opportunity for it and so i think it really creates this rich dialogue and this rich opportunity for growth on both client as well as uh, interpreters side for realization resonance you know maybe where it, it impacts my client on a health level maybe it impacts me on a spiritual level you know and and having that openness and space of non-judgment
0: It is really interesting going back to the article portion about emotions because I feel like that is one thing that is skipped over a lot in certain dream interpretation styles. And it sounds like you really utilize that. And also understanding that being that the subconscious is the body, that there's somatic aspects to it as well. Like you mentioned health coming up in dreams. So very much in line with our thinking on that. And um, (laughs) I, I would love to learn more about that process. So do you have like a top down or, you know, left to right process that you do with clients when you're interpreting their dreams? Or is it more kind of ad hoc, figuring out what they might need in the moment, intuitive? Yeah,
1: I think it's kind of a combination of both. Um, you know, the, the, the structure is just making sure that you are telling the dream from your own perspective. And so I think that really engages empathy, it engages uh, compassion, it engages those tools that we think of nowadays as those emotional intelligence uh you know i think somebody without those capacities or without those skills being honed uh, i think would have a more challenging time doing projective dream working that being said i'm also a certified intuitive it's something that you know all of us have the ability to be intuitive it's kind of in our quote dna <laughs> not literally but you know i think it's it's something that we've had for you know Since humans have been humans. However, most people are not in touch with their intuitive gifts. They haven't really um, unpacked that box and taken a look at it and explored it and experienced it and practiced it. That's not the case for me. I've been living an intuitive life my whole life. And there have been times when I have ignored the information to my own detriment, uh, but Since I've been, you know, especially after that rock bottom moment of me uh, having my career, you know, ended by this illness, it really provided more of an awakening experience for me. It really reminded me the importance of all of the information, all of the gifts that I have within myself. And it really kind of reset my perspective as to what's really important. And what's really important is being able to utilize and integrate everything that I have, not only my knowledge, not only the logic and experience and action and validation that I have, but also being able to access those areas of my subconscious. You know, our bodies are constantly taking in information. Well, why wouldn't I want to be able to access all of that other information that the brain may not deem as important? But that can be incredibly valuable to help me help my clients. And so with that, you know, dream, how I sit down with a client when I'm working a dream, once again, it really is, you know, there's a certain process to it being, you know, my imagined version of the dream and considering, okay, if I were in a dream and I saw uh, a huge black panther coming at me, what emotions would come up for me, that doesn't necessarily mean that the dreamer is actually feeling that. Um, I can recall a dream where I had um, a black panther come up to me and I wasn't scared whatsoever. It was very calming to me and and the panther came up to me almost as if a house cat you know, came up and just, you know, presented her head for me to pet. Mm-hmm. And I remember feeling the ability to really feel her cranial structure and, and how her hair felt under my hands and and the, the heat of, of her breath on my body that doesn't necessarily mean that my dreamer would feel the same thing. So that's where I would engage empathy and think, okay, for most people, this is how I would feel. And I might even state that in my interpretation, you know, I feel very calm and relaxed. However, I also recognize that this isn't normal. And I think saying that also brings up when something like that is such a disconnection of what it would really be like in the real world if we had this experience versus my interpretation in the moment, I think that's also an opportunity for deeper uh, exploration and saying, hey, wait a minute, this is kind of like a flag that goes up. Okay, what does this flag mean? Because this isn't how things would normally be, so what additionally is this telling me? And so it provides kind of an area of further exploration.
0: It sounds to me like you have very kinesthetic dreams.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, you know, I think I've had actually people from not only the, the dream working perspective, but as well psychology perspective, as well as intuitive perspective, and they've all pointed to the same thing. I have access to all five of my senses um, even while dreaming so I've been in a dream where I can smell things Mm -hmm. and you know from what I'm told from the dream experts being able to smell in your dreams is a very high correlation to being psychic or intuitive in waking life and I was kind of like well yeah Yeah. Okay. I get that. However, it's useful information for me when I'm working with clients. If I've, you know, I've noticed that clients that have also been able to smell in their dreams, it's, it's kind of a flag of, huh, do you use your intuition? Have you had experiences? Tell me about those experiences. And like I said, we all have this gift. It's not something that's supernatural. And in fact, I think even science is working a little bit on that to explain that you know, it really is kind of this more sciencey, or science can explain that it's being able to access all this information that's brought in by your default mode network. So it's not really something supernatural. However, that being said, I think that my clients that I've worked with that have stated they've uh, been able to smell in their dreams may not have been aware of their gifts. And so they weren't fully utilizing them. So, from my perspective as a coach and a dream worker, seeing those little opportunities of flags gives me, oh, this is a place where we can go. This is a place where I can really deepen and broaden a certain area to empower my clients with the gifts that they have within them.
0: Yes, to be able to hear that intuitive voice and recognize it when it's occurring. Yeah. 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 And
1: recognize that that's, that is, quote, one of their superpowers that they can yeah. tap into more readily than perhaps other people.
0: I've talked about this before on the podcast. I don't want to go too far into it, but that was like a very formative experience for me as I used to have a ton of predictive dreams and they were so accurate and I wasn't super woo-woo. So it just kind of freaked me out a little bit and I didn't really know what to do with it. So I kind of stopped journaling for a long time. But then when I was at HMI college studying to become a hypnotherapist, they had a really great way of explaining the crossover between science and metaphysics and intuition is basically exactly what you said. We have all of this information stored up from our entire lives of experience and we've got this supercomputer in our heads and then all of the somatic storage in our bodies and your brain processes that every night and tries to come up with predictive scenarios that will help serve you so that you're practiced for when those scenarios do either inevitably or you know something similar happens um, that's close enough. So it is really interesting because I, you know, have experienced a lot of those phenomena myself, but it just I love that it's being explained a little bit better from the science perspective these days. It's uh, really a joyful experience for me. Yeah.
1: Well, and even to think about how much, if you are uh, really involved in your field of work, how your intuition can come up and be so much richer. You think about Albert Einstein, you think of Steve Jobs, you know, you think of um, Elon Musk, you know, even though he doesn't necessarily talk too much about it. Maybe he does. uh, You know, it's, it's when we have all of this knowledge once again, it's the idea that it's 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 inside of you. It's being stored somewhere. And so being able to access it, even though the brain might not deem it as being important to survival, it's still in there. And so, you know, I think that there's also, although there is no research that I'm aware of, intuitively, I would think that, you know, if you are really absorbed you know really uh, knee deep in certain material and you are in touch with your intuitive gifts you're going to be able to make those connections a lot more readily as opposed to someone who is outside of your field or maybe has very little information about that particular field uh, might still have intuitive hits but it might not be as rich and as informative as if you're really kind of in immersed in it and you're and you have a lot of knowledge that's been taken in.
0: Speaking of Einstein he is one of the people that I've gone over historical dreams with before because he did have dreams that gave him the answers to problems that he was working on and so I know we all tend to we all as a culture I mean tend to kind of poo-poo dreams and because they're so different from our waking life that they don't make sense but when you see that it's not just survival like you mentioned it's all of the creativity and knowledge that we have working together to solve problems i mean we are by nature problem solving creatures and that is what we well as humans even though we create as many problems (laughs) as we solve that is you know what our brains are working on a lot and um yeah i love that you brought them up because. I don't know about Steve Jobs or Elon Musk's dream lives, but I do know that Einstein very much utilized dreams in his work, along with many other chemists and inventors.
1: And just that, that idea of the intuition, um, you know, it's the, the ability to access it. I think is what is is really key. So whether you do it through dream working or whether you do it through meditation like Steve Jobs or whether you do it through, <coughs> excuse me, other, other modalities, that access to the intuition is what is really able to inform you and become integrated. You know, being able to use both sides just provides such a bigger picture so it just it just all makes sense. It makes sense to to utilize what you have available to you so that you can live the the richest, more most full, purposeful life.
0: On a side note, and kind of going backwards a little bit, we were talking earlier about your kinesthetic dreaming and all five senses. And that reminded me of a question that I like to ask people sometimes because I had no idea that some people dream in black and white. And I am a full color dreamer. In fact, like nature and natural phenomena is like a huge dream theme for me. So I'm seeing like rainbows and waterfalls and forests and all the colors of flowers. And it wasn't until I really started working with people and their dreams that I realized that a lot of people don't have that experience. So are you also a colorful dreamer or have you ever had a black and white dream?
1: I definitely dream in color. Um, I don't know that I've ever had a black and white dream. Actually, there was one dream that I do remember writing about where there was a period like a just a short bit where it turned black and white and then it went back to visual. And I don't remember if I even ever asked any of the the dream experts that I studied uh, but that would be something that, you know, it, it has it happened like that one time. So it's not something that happens often, but it that is kind of a curious aspect because once again, that's something that's not normal. And so what would that mean in my dream if I were to go back and interpret that particular dream uh, might be kind of an interesting experiment.
0: Yeah, I, it blew me away too. But in a lot of the dream groups as well, you'll hear people bring it up. So I'm just always curious about what is going on there but I guess not everybody has all five senses so that it could be as simple as that I suppose. So we had been going over some lucid dreaming articles and there's been some studies recently where scientists are able to hook people up and get them into a state of dreaming and wake them to the point of lucidity and ask them questions and I believe even doing math problems was one of the things that they were able to do and they were surprisingly accurate at it. So, do you have any kind of insight into that or anything that you would like to let people know about the new information that's coming out around neuroscience and lucid dreaming?
1: Well, you know, it's lucid dreaming has always been so incredibly fascinating to me because I have had so many lucid dreams and not everyone is able to have that experience. But when you do, it's such an incredible experience. And I think that, once again, taking it back to the projective dream working that I do, when we're lucid, you know, it's basically how we view it is we're in the the dream space, but we're aware that we're dreaming. Okay, that's kind of the definition of, of lucidity. Having that lucidity really kind of points to the waking life neutral observer. So being able to have that separation, that understanding that we're not so immersed in an experience, but that we can take a step back and observe what's happening from a more meta view. And I think that that's one of the skills that I work with with clients in my coaching work as well as dream work is being able to develop that capacity for that neutral observer perspective. It's, it's a level of awareness. You, know, you think about the, the different levels of conscious, consciousness, that is one of the levels that you know, is a, a tool that is necessary to increase awareness in our lives. So thinking of it from a lucid dreaming point, that ability to become aware in the dream and being aware that what is going around, on around you isn't necessarily waking life, and that you can play in this arena, it holds the capacity or the the possibility of being able to really connect in a way and and access information in your brain uh, or in your body even, to be able to um, have more creative out of the box experiences or be able to have that n- deeper connection and more direct communication with that information, something that as an intuitive, I'm able to do in my waking life. And so, you know, thinking of the different levels of awareness, like I said, that n- having that ability to be an, uh, or have a neutral observer perspective is one of the foundational steps that people, you have. In order to become more aware, in order to access your innate gifts, and so it's almost as if there are certain levels. You know, I often, um, I often think of video games where there are avatars, and you're working an avatar. And you know, one of the favorite games that I had in undergraduate and undergraduates um, when I was at college, I loved playing Tomb Raider with Laura Croft, and it, it, to me. Being able to go through a level, you know, you could rush through that level and not gather all the gifts, you know, the first aid pack, the bullets, the ammunition, the, you know, the supplies, and you can make it to the end of the level and go to the next level. However, when you do go back and gather all of those gifts, quotes, you're able to actually be successful at the next level, you know, it kind of provides that foundational experience. I think of that very much like our intuitive gifts or like our dream working uh, gifts is that being able to have access to this information creates, makes it more informative so that when you go to the next level in your life, whatever that may be, you're able to be so much more informed. So now from a neuroscience perspective, you know, I don't know um, beyond what I've read as far as them being curious about what happens when you're asleep and being able to access it you know thinking about that the research where they're able to communicate with people i don't know that neuroscience has come up with a definitive answer neuroscience isn't really you know there there isn't a lot of definitive answers it's just you know here's what we're learning here's what we're discovering we're still working on more information But I think that there's just this broadening awareness that there's a capacity for our brains and bodies to work together to have access to so much more information. It's not this fixed, you know, blindfold tunnel vision of it's this or that, you know, it's either true or false. I think neuroscience, one of the things that I believe they're doing is really expanding that view and saying there are many more possibilities. And just because something hasn't been proven doesn't mean that it's necessarily disproven, that it's false. It just means that perhaps we don't have the technology or we haven't figured out how to devise an experience, uh, an experiment to prove this, or that we're necessarily getting funding. You know, you think a lot of the scientific community, they rely on grants, they rely on funding. And so science is really driven by where the money is going. You know, if if I'm a rich corporation, and I have this idea that I want to sell this product, but I need a study to to prove that my product is going to be successful, then I'm going to fund that. Well, that might not necessarily be something that is really uh, valuable for the collective, you know, the collective, I think, especially now with the work that uh, Dr. Lisa Miller, um, who most recently wrote The Awakened Brain, uh, you know, neuroscientist as well as a psychologist, she's doing cutting edge research on the spiritual connection and, and what is really going on in the brain as far as um, spirituality, you know, putting people who are connected spiritually, and that's whether you're religious or whether you have a choice of no religion, your spirituality is really that deeper connection with self. And what her studies are showing is that if you have a deep spiritual connection with self, so if you believe in intuition, or if you believe in that deeper connection to something larger than you, whether you consider it God, God goddess, source, the universe, um, my higher self, however you view that, having that deeper spiritual connection allows you to, or it's, she's proven that you are, I think, 72% more likely to rebound quickly from a traumatic event if you have that deep spiritual connection to yourself. It's also increased to 90% if you're genetically at high risk for depression, like if you have a parent who had suffered from depression. Also, there is an 80% reduction in um, addiction and a 62% relative re- reduction of relative risk of suicide if you have a deep spiritual connection. So once again, bringing it back to science there are studies that are being done that are proving this. However, also having the perspective as a general consumer, you know, wondering what you should do with this information, understanding that just because science hasn't proven it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not true. It just might be that there's no money behind that scientific research to prove it, or there might not be technology, etc., available to really... Uh, have an experience, a, a experiment that would prove you know what they're going after.
0: Going back to a little piece that you mentioned in there was video games and avatars and in conjunction with lucid dreaming. And I just have to tell you this funny little anecdote that happened to me the other morning. My daughter woke up and came running to me and told me um, that she now knows when she's in a dream, because when she falls and dies, she sees it from a different perspective. So basically if she's not looking out of her eyes and she sees her body fall off the cliff, she's like, whatever, I'm lucid dreaming now. And she's like, realizes it's fine. And then just goes on about the dream. And I thought that was really interesting. And that she was like, I don't, she has no idea what lucid dreaming is, but I thought it was really cute that she was so excited about just, being able to identify when she's in a dream or not. Yeah. Well, and how old is she? Seven.
1: Oh my gosh. And, you know, and that was actually something that we were talking about in um, just recently in my study group is that children aged up to seven, seven isn't a magic number. It can be anywhere between five and eight. They, they, their brains are in a theta state. And so they have this different ability to, I mean, that's how, when you watch children, how they can seem so kind of lost in their experience, and they have this great imaginative capacity, you know, they're really tied into that theta state. Once they turn roughly seven, five to eight, they start, you know, and they start school and they, and they begin different processes, their brain shifts to more alpha Mm -hmm. waves. And so number one, how amazing that she's seven and she still has this capacity to recognize it. And that she already has that ability to be that neutral observer and to recognize it and to recognize that what happens kind of out here what i see whether it's in my dream state and i think you could even parlay it into you know intuitive state or just even even in her waking awareness that having that neutral observer perspective can be so powerful for her own awareness you know recognizing i mean i do this with I did it with my middle child and with um, our youngest, our youngest is now five. And I've been doing it for a while, but, you know, always asking her when something comes up, whether she experiences it directly or whether she just witnesses it, you know, um, someone gets hurt on the playground and, you know, someone else laughs at them, you know, and her telling me about that. Okay. How would it feel for you? know developing those those questions for empathy how would it feel to you if you were that person who fell you know how would you feel if somebody was laughing at you i'd feel sad you know it wouldn't make me feel really good okay so you know that even in asking those questions has that potential to remove the perspective and think about things on kind of more of a meta view you know if she were the person who um you know who laughed it hasn't been her but if she were Having that conversation with, you know, what would it be like if you had fallen and you had hurt yourself and now you were crying, what would it be like? Oh, you know, I might be embarrassed. I might be embarrassed. You know, I might be feeling pain, you know, really kind of getting into those uh, the experience from that neutral observer perspective can really help develop us in so many deeper ways. And I think that that brings it back to the power of dreams, the power of lucid dreams. You know, lucid dreaming, I think, is really akin to being awakened and aware in waking life. You know, understanding the bigger perspective. Hey, just because Mm -hmm. I lost my job doesn't mean it's the end of the world. Having a neutral observer perspective I might look at that and go, huh, I lost my job. That sucks. However, I wasn't really happy in my job. And maybe this is the impetus that I need to really find something that is fulfilling, find something that offers better hours or working conditions. And so that neutral observer perspective allows us to take to view things from a little bit different perspective. You know, you think about a maze when you're in a maze you can't find your way out. But if you have that meta view of looking over the maze, you can see all the different possibilities. And I think in in dreaming especially, especially, we're able to view all the possibilities and then make the choice, the conscious choice, when we're lucid dreaming, which possibility we want to follow. So I think that there's lots of applications and a rich experience that can be obtained
0: it is really interesting about children being in that theta state all the time. It's almost like they are just empty vessels Hmm. and they're just pouring knowledge into their brains. You know, I guess that's why they can pick up languages and new skills and tasks so quickly.
1: Yeah. Because they're constantly modeling. You know, I think that's another discussion is, you know, is it really that they are, well, Children and, and humans, <laughs> I think in general, we don't necessarily do as people tell us. We can we can take what people tell us and that helps form beliefs that kind of stay with us. But I think children in that, um, especially that first, you know, seven or eight years, they're modeling. You know, I know that when our daughter um, goes to someone else's house, if they are, uh, you know, there's one person in our family that um, is really kind of a toxic person. You know, she argues a lot, she's yelling a lot, you know, she's fighting with other people physically as well as, you know, it can just be really ugh. When my daughter comes home from like spending time with her, she actually looks physically different. Like her her face doesn't look like, you know, she's our daughter. <laughs> and you know and and it's because of the modeling you know you think about all the muscles in our face that's what uh, impacts how we look so yeah you know kids they're they're little sponges and you know i think it's important for us to remember that it's not always what we're saying it is in part but it's also how we're saying things it's how we're modeling things how what we're doing cuz they're constantly watching and learning
0: I think that is a good place for us to wrap up this first segment and for anybody listening or watching, there are going, there's going to be more with Teresa because we have an awful lot to talk about, but I think we're going to wrap up this section for now and we will see you on the next one. Thank you. We are supported by human dreaming, the dynamics of dream interpretation by sunshine press, the human dreaming book, can be purchased on Amazon.com, the Barnes & Noble website, or through your local bookstore. For dream share or help with interpretation, please join us at the Human Dreaming Facebook group. You can also find us on Instagram at human_dreaming. dreaming. Thank you for listening and subscribing, and please join us again next week.